Welcome to the Pointing It Out podcast. I am Megan Holmes here at the Needlepoint Clubhouse in St. Louis, Missouri. And I am Melissa McLeod at the Wool and the Floss in Gross Point, Michigan. We have been Needlepoint besties for a number of years now, and we love talking about all things Needlepoint. It's true. And whether we're talking about our friends in the industry or chatting about tips and tricks that we've learned over the years, we are just here to keep you company while you stitch. For the visual version of this podcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel at YouTube at Pointing It Out Podcast. Hi, Melissa. Hi. Second time today, even though, you know. I was going to say, yeah, we've seen each other now two times today, even though others will only see us one time today and one time on Saturday. So. True. Um, so here we are. We are uh, Melissa McLeod uh, sitting at her shop in Gross Point, Michigan, the wool and the floss. And I am Megan Holmes sitting here at my shop in uh, suburban St. Louis um, at uh, the Needlepoint Clubhouse. And together we have been doing this thing we call a video podcast for over a year now. You all keep tuning in. And so um, here we are for this week's episode. And um, you know, every time we say we think we've covered it all, we think, no, we don't. And we, we this time, what we've decided to do is kind of take something that we, we started talking about in one podcast and sort of flush out a piece of it. And so, um, Melissa, why don't you kind of explain our uh, topic this week? Sure. Um, so I can't remember how long ago it was, maybe two months or so. It doesn't really matter. It's YouTube. You can you can make it yesterday. <laughs> yesterday, if you wanted it to be, um, we talked about how to plan a project. And so uh, one of the things as shop owners and teachers and uh, the leader of M4 over there, <laughs> uh, we get lots of questions about backgrounds and how do I pick a background stitch? What color do I do for a background? What kind of thread should I use for a background? There's just background, background, background. There are a lot of choices. Um, but I think historically, many people made background kind of their last choice. And maybe that comes from the really old style of needlepoint where you got pre-worked canvases where the center was stitched and you just did the background. So I think people kind of had a mentality that you picked your background last. Like, do all the fun stuff and do the background last. But many, many times, I think it's really important to pick your background first um, because what there's so many things that affect your background. And if you make those decisions first, you're in many cases going to be better off. Um, less frustrating stitching, make better choices, all sorts of things. So um, yeah, so we just kind of talked to brainstormed by and I are kind of the common things that we get asked about um, and thought we'd just kind of run through them and see see what we had to offer. Yeah, and so we're calling this Stitching Your Background or Stitching Backgrounds, I think is the title, but um, it's really does have a lot to do with what the piece is um, and how you'll be using it. And so um, we, like you said, you really kind of have to think about it first, really, um, right. in a lot of ways. So, um, so yeah, so identifying... Uh, what the background is uh, really is deciding how you'll be using it and how it'll be finished. So um, I think one of the most general terms that are used for background stitches are open stitches or full coverage or closed background stitches, wouldn't you say? 
Yeah, but can we back up for a second? Sure. You made a really good point when we were talking last night that like, no matter what you're stitching, it has a background. I did say that. Thank you for reminding me that sometimes I do say things that are- It was really smart. Um, and I pulled a couple like visual aids, so to speak, because I think it makes more sense. So, ah, sorry, I didn't make them as reachable as I thought. So if you had one of these cute little Santas, you think, well, he doesn't really have a background, but he in the end needs to, because even if you have him as a shaped background, you're going to either have to shadow stitch him or once you make that decision on what your use is for the piece, the background might be smaller, bigger, whatever. Mm-hmm. So um, similar to this piece, um, and I'm sorry, I feel like we're always using the same things, but they make for a good point. So this cute little cart was just painted on a white canvas, just like that was, I believe. And this green color is just shadow stitched and it just kind of makes all the other pop, others pop. So you could do something like that on the Santa, but you could also decide, I don't want to make uh, ornament out of the Santa because he's kind of big for an ornament. I'd rather have him as a stand-up. So this isn't the exact same canvas, but you can kind of see it practically right. is. Right. And um, I Did took that white. Create that that uh, ground there too. Yeah. So he's kind of standing like on this green tiled floor. I have a green tile floor in my kitchen at home. Cute. Um, and then. I put in the striped wallpaper. I was looking at this today. I'm like, if I would have done this today, I wouldn't have continued these stripes all the way down. I think that's kind of awkward. I'm not sure why I did that at the time, but you know, we learn over time. To me, the green tile floor should have been the floor and the stripe should have stopped before you got to the floor. But you know, that's how we learned. So, but in any event, I created that, this like wallpaper with a floor background behind Santa to ground him and to make him into this nice square stand up. And so, again, just thinking about your background and what shape you're going to do, what you're going to do with it, whether it's going to be a wearable object or a pillow or a stand-up or a framed piece, those all affect what your background's going to be or do. And you also, did I lose a piece? I had another piece over here. (laughs) Oh, he fell over. I found it. Um, I'm just trying to say, no, I'm not going to talk about that right now. That doesn't make sense. So just deciding what it's going to be first and foremost is your most important decision. So I think um, to flesh that out just a tiny bit. So in other words, if you're doing a belt, you're not going to do an open stitch, right? Because that doesn't. Oh, yeah. So I think now, now we should move into like open versus closed. But I think you why? need to know what that what that item is. Yeah, and if so you're making that Santa with that background you just showed into a handbag, um, you wouldn't have probably chosen that. It looked like a pretty open stitch on the top, so you probably wouldn't have done that. Um, and so, um, yeah, so I was just going to say, I was just fleshing out what you were saying, which was the wearables, the the full coverage stitches, the open stitches. So, um, So, yeah, so I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, that's okay. So so then once you've decided what your piece is going to be used for, then you can think about different kinds of stitches. And then you're going to, and we'll talk about each of these things separately, but I think we should talk about open versus closed stitches. Um, And for those that are newer stitches, you might not even know what that means, but we'll we'll define that. Don't worry. Um, 
And then we'll talk about whether you want to stitch your background first or last. We'll talk about if you want to make some color changes, how that affects it. And then I think lastly, we'll dabble a little bit in like anything you want to wear because we keep alluding to that. So we'll get to all that at the end. But um, so open versus closed stitches. So uh, in the days of yore, when we used to stitch like 20, 30 years ago, nobody ever left any canvas showing. Like that was like a major no-no and a big mistake and nobody did that. Um, but I think now it's much more common. And I think that's for lots of reasons. It's the painting quality I think has just absolutely skyrocketed. Um, many of these pieces are works of art in and of themselves without any thread on them. Um, the finishing uh, practices have improved. So you, you can make that open canvas a compliment. Um, and the thread, the thread choices, like when I learned how to stitch, it was pattern iron or pearl cotton. Now we have things that we can strand and that are very um, elegant and sophisticated and delicate and all sorts of other choices. So those have all affect how, how I think stitching has evolved. In right. My opinion. right, I think you're right. Absolutely. Um, and so do you want to show a couple of examples? Sure. Okay, so I have one here. I've got two actually. The one I show, I think you can see. I'll finish mine. I'm so close too. It looks so know. good. And this was actually a stitch. I don't know how well you can see that, but this was a stitch suggested actually by Melissa um, and Liz had done it on something. I can't remember. Maybe it was this piece, but um, this is a really simple stitch that uh, it's over two squares. Yeah, it's more of a, um, oh, wouldn't you call it a darning pattern because you really have to follow your stitch because you don't want to be able to see the crossover. Yeah, so you really have to be careful on a stitch like this to make sure that you don't trail any thread behind because it is so open. Um, but what this does, and it does, it's not going to resonate well, maybe if I have it back, I don't know, it's not going to resonate too well, but the painting on this is so beautiful. This one had kind of like a, like a, I don't know, almost a glow behind the tiger. And I think it was probably kind of supposed to be the sky, I guess, behind. Either yeah, I feel like it's a little bit of an ombre. Right? Yeah, it sure was. And so you can see it pretty well in person, but I didn't want to totally lose that. But I also didn't want to try to, you couldn't use an over dye because there would have been no way to just kind of stitch it in and somehow let that still show. Um, right. And I didn't really want to do full coverage because I thought the painting was so beautiful. And so then the idea was to do something that was sort of geometric so that you could still sort of see that aura behind the tiger. And so this worked out perfectly. I chose a color that was really about the richness of the of the darkest color and right. just did it over the entire thing. And so that you can still, I think you can even see here in the camera. He's got the bottoms definitely lighter. And he's got, by the way, my hand, I still look like I've been kind of wounded. I, I talked about it earlier. I had a wasp bite on my right hand. And so I keep using my hand. It looks kind of funny, but anyway. Um, but so, yeah, so you can see this um, kind of aura or whatever, because I chose to have that same color just kind of all bring together. The other example that I have, I don't know if you have one there, but the other example I have is the sky that I did. And I, like you said, I think I've used this before. But this is a sunset. This is, of course, an Abigail Cecile piece. The one I just showed was a plum stitchery piece, um, which is on back order, by the way. I have it on order. But, <laughs> um, but this is a, a sunrise. And so the darkest, most rich color of that shading is up on top. 
and it lightens up. And so what I did on this one is I chose um, a, the mid-tone color. And what I think it did pretty well is actually just bring the whole sky together so that it didn't look like stripes. It all kind of blended together. But um, this is a very subtle overdye and tent, excuse me, um, skip tent. Um, and so it was so, so easy and it makes it look so much more sophisticated and hard than it really was. Um, right. And I learned this lesson um, and it was an accident that if you're ever doing something like this, you choose the mid tone and go over the whole piece and it brings it all together. Um, and you're using probably a lighter weight thread than you might in other circumstances? You know, not on this one. And I, I thought I had, but I actually used a size 12 Threadworks overdye. And oh. it's an 18 count mesh. And I think just because it's the skip tent, it wasn't, didn't, wasn't too tight. Now right. on this piece, I used, um, I think, three strands of Splendor when I normally would have used four for full coverage. So in that case, yes. But in this case, I think I just used the regular, just being a dummy, really. Like, oh, well, that's the size I'll use. You know, I didn't really think about it. But I do think that if I had used the eight, it might have been a little too wimpy for this, too. Um, I don't know. I have pretty tight tension. Um, so maybe with someone with, like, a, a lighter hand at number eight would work fine for that, too. So, um, But this was the very first thing I did, um, the background. And I also, the very first thing I did was the background on my tiger. Yeah. And we will get into lots of reasons why um, that makes sense. Um, I have, I brought this and you'll have to, if you look closely on this, you'll see a lot of dog hairs because this is on the couch at my house where my dog likes to sleep. So sorry about that. Um, but this I did in a class years ago with Carolyn Hedgebeard. And I love this background stitch. Um, it's kind of like a trellis with a tie down and then like a center stitch. But really part of that, I'm hoping you can see that. Yeah, I can now. It actually, okay. yeah. And so, so I, it, are the diagonals over four or something like that? And then you um, I think they're, they're on an oblique. Oh, okay. So, um, but what I like about it is it has a lot of pattern to it, but because it's open, and I'm going to back up now, it looks lighter than the pigs. And it recedes the way it's supposed to. Because yeah. Yeah. And Carolyn helped me plan it, and she's brilliant, and I like to think I've learned a lot from her over the years. Um, so just that openness, though, makes it look a little bit lighter. And besides that, guess what? It's a lot less work. Work. It goes a lot faster. Yes. This is a big canvas. I mean, yes. and it's on 13 mesh, but this has got to be 12 by 16, maybe. I mean, it's a big piece. Look at my, my head right here. Is that so. a Baroque's piece? You're a retired Amanda Lawford piece. Ah, okay. Um, so I hesitated to even show it, but I do love this background stitch. The other piece that I brought along with me um, is actually an exclusive to your shop. Um, are these darling little doggies? And the red, I don't know how well that's going to show. You can kind of see the light through it. The red is also open. So again, it allows the, the background to go behind the dogs. Um, and it just added a little interest to my own personal stitching as well as to the, the view of it. Yeah, so. I have um, one more that I can show that's open. I like what you've done there too. And, that, and the other thing um, that I think we've pretty much shown is either stitching over an, an ombre or a shaded thing or tone on tone. So what you just showed with that pig is the, it was painted yellow when you put yellow over top, right? Yes. And so, both of these are tone on tone threads. Like I like to do my 
a lot of my stitches in composite stitches where you're using a silk and a sparkle. So I don't happen to have a great example of using a different color. Like let's say putting, um, how I would have if I had one of my, anyway, but like putting pink over top of white or blue over top of the white canvas. The only thing I could put my hand on was this that I, I just finished up. But so this is, um, this is the silk straw. I think it's called almond. And yeah. Toasted almond. Thank you. Um, and it, it's not going to show up very well here, but this stitch would have looked much differently if it wasn't white canvas behind it, depending on what color. So if it had been black or brown, I, this would have looked way darker, but the white is giving this, it's, it, it's just open enough that I'm kind of getting this almost like white dip that kind right. of line. And I think that adds a lot of interest to that background. Um, it's probably technically kind of a full coverage. I mean, there is a little bit of, but it's just open enough that that white peeks through and I think it gives it a little interest. Um, but like I said, this would have looked way different if it had been brown or black or navy or any kind of darker background than it does with the white behind it. So that's the best thing I could put my finger on to a... What I wish I had, and I'm, I'm embarrassed right now, I can't remember who my stitcher was, um, but I just unboxed it last Friday, the Friday before, it doesn't really matter, but Morgan Julia's bar cart is painted on a white background. Yeah. She took a light blue sparkle. Yes. Alicia's lace, so those yes. little diamonds all over. Yep. Spectacular. So it looked like it was a white and blue checkered background. Right. Um, and it was absolutely fabulous. So exactly. yes, it's yeah. a valid point to consider some sort of open colored stitch over the white um, to create an interesting pattern. Just and like what I was alluding to, I did that on my, um, that little plum citrus dog that I just did that you're, I think you're doing now too, with blue and white. I did pink for the background on the white canvas. And I think I did T-stitch, I can't quite remember, but it does, it gives it almost like a checkered look because of the right. white behind it. So I, I wish I had that, but I don't. So anyway, yeah. but yeah, the bar cart's a great idea too. Right. Um, now the other reason so we've talked a lot of reasons about doing it open. So some people might want to go fall back to standard closed stitches. And we didn't, I don't have any examples here because I do. Um, oh, actually I do right in front of me so I could grab that. But you have a really good reason to have done yours closed. So this pig, I love my pig. Uh, this was one of my, I'm going to carry him with me and do all tent stitch all the time. So he was a, a, intended to be a real, um, all closed stitch but the reason why well I, I probably in hindsight would have done like something like diagonal mosaic or um even cashmere or something that wasn't quite just tiny little tent stitches but this had a maroon background like a dark red and i knew that i'm more of a navy girl and i knew where i wanted to put this and i so i knew that i wanted him to have a navy background and so um if you look i mean you can really not see any um any color through this. This is all tent stitch. And because right. I used the navy and I didn't use like say pale pink or um, ivory or any color. Uh, that something been lighter than it, what it was. Painted. Yeah. And I also used a heavy enough thread. It completely covered over that that um, uh, burgundy color. This is just a silk and ivory on 13 count, which um, really just did a perfect kind of close stitch. Um, I also had intended for him, even though he tends, he lives here in the shop now, I intended for him to be on my sofa at home because I have these colors in my, in my, uh, in my living room. 
and I wanted your, to- And your pig would have dog hair on it too. Uh, that's what I was going to say, the dog, the kids. And so I didn't want any open stitches. Um, this I knew was going to be a little more of a showpiece. And so I did some more like open and delicate stitches and things that I knew people won't be laying their heads on. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so he's there here, he's here at the shop. Um, well, and I yeah. think maybe, if, no, I guess we wouldn't have talked about that. You and I have talked about the fact that sometimes we can't remember when we've talked about things because we talk about needlepoint all the time because we love to talk about needlepoint. Yeah. Um, but it it depends how well your family is trained. Right. So um, despite the fact that, and my dog, to be honest, isn't really allowed on the couch, um, but he's 14 now. And when I go to bed, he climbs up on the couch because he can't come up stairs anymore. And I just kind of turn the blind eye and pretend I don't know, just like, you know, a bad parent does of teenagers. But in any event, um, I have, there's a lot of things that would be no-nos to a lot of people on a pillow. I have ribbon work on here. I have beads. I have lots more beads. I have long satin stitches up here. And even though my dog's been climbing on the couch, it's actually in really darn good shape. The only thing mm -hmm. I noticed today is these, these loops are wonky over here. Uh oh. That's because his leash got stuck on it and he was dragging it around the house one day. Oh. But his collar, I mean. In any event, um, my point is that I have trained my family, like heads don't touch needlepoint pillows. So, um, but my family is a little bit older than your family. So I could, you know, I can, I can threaten to beat them and not get picked up by child social services, <laughs> <laughs> you know. The other, I also, um, I brought this up this morning, but I thought I'd bring it up again. So this is a full coverage background stitch that is not basket weave. Um, it's all, uh, I, I would call it satin. Some people call it what horizontal goblin or, or um, right. regular goblin. Um, it's really just uh, horizontal stitches all lined up together. And then a tent stitch is the, is the gold stripe. And I just really wanted to add some interest to it. Um, this had an all white background. Um, and right. so I wanted to kind of make it look a little more interesting since I thought it was a little bit of a, a boring piece. Right. Um, but yeah, so that would be considered full coverage because there is no um, canvas showing. We just had somebody today turn in, um, oh, it's the Susan Battle um, uh, plaid right here pillow. And they did an, a full coverage Nabucco um, in the background. Uh, diagonal mosaic, Nabucco, these horizontal goblin stripes. Um, I'm trying to think Scotch of what else would be good. Cashmere. Yeah. So those are all great full coverage, fully, what did we call it? Full coverage closed stitches. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Scratch and we can't forget to mention that. That's one of my all time favorites. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, do you count that? Because doesn't it have the little dot? Don't you have to go back and I put cross stitches in there. So you so go back in and fill it in with the cross stitch. Okay. Okay. Right. All right. Well, we'll let you get away with that as a full <laughs> stitch then. Um, yeah. And then the other thing you brought up when we were like pre-gaming for this um, is um, if you have not done open stitching before and you're, you're a tried and true longtime stitcher or your grandma taught you and taught you, no, 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 you don't leave canvas open. Um, one of the favorite, I, I guess I have three favorite kind of more open 101 stitches, for lack of a better word, which would be skip tent where you're, you're still basket weaving, you're going up and down the diagonals, but you're only going on either the poles or the stairs or the horizontal or the vertical thread. So you're, you're basically stitching every other thread. 
Um, and that's, I think what you said you did on the St. Louis piece, is that right? I did, yeah, but you know what I think? Um, you just mentioned that you do skip tent on the diagonal. I think I may have done this continental. Do you think there's a reason why or why not to do, I mean, I guess to try to keep it in shape, but I was on. Yeah, on, I mean, uh, skip tent on the diagonal will will keep it more square, but if you're working on a frame, it probably doesn't matter. Right, and so to the point of, um, and I don't know if we're ready to move into this, um, but so we were what we were talking about, I think, when that came up was whether or not to do the background first. And we, no. what I was saying is that um, if for some reason you've chosen to do sort of your, your design first and you haven't done the background, the teeth, the, how do I keep saying that teeth, skip tent stitch can be implemented where other things are already in the foreground because you don't have to count through if you just say to yourself, I'm either covering the horizontal or the vertical canvas thread. So in other words, I don't have to like take at the steeple and say, you know, count like open or, you know, stitch, don't stitch, stitch, don't stitch. I can just say like, oh, that's a horizontal thread. I'm covering horizontal threads. So I'm going to keep going over here. So that's a way to choosing a stitch that allows you to, to work it that way. Okay you can right. put in second and still get away with it and not be super frustrated because you're trying to count through your design, I guess okay. what I was, what I was getting at. And, I, and I've modeled it a little bit because I, I, so back to kind of my original point is skip tent's a great first open stitch, um, T stitch, which is over two every other row. And then you come back the other way and go over two every other row. And I almost always have something I can grab something if we want me to, if, we want but um that's a really great other open stitch as well because it's it's really easy to follow it's easy to compensate so if you're ready to make that leap those might be good stitches um and i also like i call it alicia's lace but there's a million charts for alicia's lace but alicia lace again makes those diamonds and again i should have pulled an example and i could pause us because it's right over there and grab that if we want or actually you're recording us so we it's okay do. Uh, I just had an aha moment though for a minute. So you said your T stitches over two and then over two going the other way. I was thinking, is it a different name when you just do over one? No, because I made a mistake. Over one is T stitch. Okay. And over two has a million different names. Carolyn Hedge Baird calls it plated goblin. Okay. People call it the woven stitch, but there's so many stitches called the woven stitch. I think that's why Carolyn maybe calls it something else. Okay. Um, or it's just how Carolyn learned it way back when. Um, but that's how it is in her book. And okay. So, okay. Um, I yeah, was like, wait, these stitches over one, and this plated gold one is the over two version. But either of those would be okay to try to figure out because you would be using your horizontals and your verticals alternately all the way across in order to do that background. But for something like, um, what do you have in front of you that is a lot more complicated? Do you have your, yeah, okay. Perfect. Yep. The perfect example of why you want to do your background first. So because of how Melissa Prince has designed this beautiful piece, um, the ears go all the way to the edge, all mm -hmm. the way to the edge. This cardinal goes all the way to the top. Mm -hmm. So if you want your patterns to line up, and I have kind of a diamond-based pattern, and if you mm -hmm. follow this up, you can see that, wow, I'm good. Like, these are all right in a row. If I had finally gotten frustrated with this background stitch, which, by the way, is the hardest piece of this entire project, um, and then hung it up, 
there is no way I could have done this because as you were alluding to earlier, when you get up here, when I am trying to cross over to a new area, mm -hmm. I some people go stitch, which means you could take uh, like one little piece of bright red floss and do this purple stitch right over this and cut cut it out later. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a little too lazy for that, but that is some people's go-to answer. What I do is I go, I, I can count through if I'm like, skip, go, skip, go, skip, go, and I can figure out where I am in the pattern and pick it up in this section. And then I can count through the head of the bird and pick that pattern up in this section and then count through this and pick it up in this section. Um, and that enabled this pattern to line up nicely that way and that way, just the way it's supposed to, which if I had stitched the deer first, there would have been 10,000 mistakes. I mean, absolutely. well, yeah. And it's just because it's so hard to count the stitches or the, 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 the um, intersections when there's thread already in it. And it even would get more complicated if sometimes you have something like this, but where it might be, I, I don't know, I can't think of a good example right now, but where the stitch has to join up at the bottom. Yeah, yeah. So you're working your way around, counting through, working your way around, counting through, working your way around. And then you get to the moment at Bruce down here and you're like, please, please, please. And you know, we have a, sometimes you fudge it. <laughs> we have a stitcher right now who's here in the shop. Uh, we have what Wednesday night stitching. They're all stitching and sitting there with masks. God bless them. Um, but she's doing, they call it hook toweling, I think, where it's like over three and then a skip and then over three this way. And so it like goes like this all the way down and somehow she made a mistake. And so one of her pals at the, at the table said, here, here's what we're going to do. And she put in like three red stitches to, to continue the pattern on something else so that your eye would just allude to the fact that it all matched together. But again, it was because she couldn't, she did her, um, her uh, foreground, foreground first. first and wasn't able to really get a good count going through. And, and it resolved itself. And, you know, we always say this is supposed to be fun and this is your own art. So it's not that big of a deal. And it was kind of brilliant of the person to say, the other stitcher to say, hey, let's just continue this pattern so that they don't have to connect. Um, right. But, you know, in a perfect world, it would have connected, but, um, you know, it didn't and life goes on. But yeah, yeah. so it's just an example of why to try to do your background first, even though that's sometimes a bummer. <laughs> Well, and the other reason I don't always do my full background first, because sometimes you don't have to, um, you know, get it all the way done. Like on this piece, I might have done like it all up to here and then carried it over to here. And then I might have decided, oh, I'm really tired of doing the background right now. Well, then I could go and do this dog as long as I finish the red before I got to this the other dog. dog. Yeah. So... Yeah. You know, you still can reward yourself, kind of. I think you've talked about that with belts that you like to do kind of some of the fun. You do a certain amount of background and then you reward yourself with getting to do one of the fun little icons and you do more boring background and then an icon. So yeah. you can do the same thing here, but just be thoughtful about it um, to save yourself a little bit of needle point stress because we don't need needle point stress. Exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. What else do you want to talk about? Um, Don't you love it when I don't even understand my own notes? Well, uh, I was, <laughs> Melissa very kindly, since her brain is full functioning, did the notes for us today. And I was trying to follow along and now I've lost myself. Uh, so we're talking about whether to do background first or last. So what, something, oh, um, the, are you going to, 
the black I understand my own note. And I think we already kind of talked about it. I have a note saying that with simpler backgrounds, you can do it as you go because yeah. you don't necessarily have to count through it. So if you are doing a tenth stitch background or, or where we were talking earlier about a skip tent or an Alicia's lace, it's not as hard because there's other ways to make it align, even if your other things are done. But right. for the most case, like I do try to do most of my back. Right, right, right. Um, the the other thing that comes up all the time, and I don't have a, well, I have, a, my pig is a bit of an example, but for full coverage stitching. So if you are a tent stitcher, and that's all you want to do, and we have a lot of people here in the shop, and that is totally fine. The question comes up all the time, should I stitch white first or should I stitch black first or other colors, et cetera. I was always taught, and I'm not even sure who taught me this. Maybe I told myself this or I've, I, I feel like there's very much two, two camps. There's two sides to this story. And should I time. stitch white first or should I not stitch the white first? I read or was taught or somehow got in my head that I was always supposed to do the white first. Um, that has worked for me because I have found that if the white is in, then any other color that you pull up next to it, red, black, blue, tan, you don't get any, any residual fuzz or any friends coming along for the ride uh, because white just doesn't really do that. Um, if you, and I've done this, if you do say black first or red first and then you pull a white next to it, you get all those little friends that come along, the, the white, the, kind of like the lint from the first the lint stick. from the first thing um and so i have just really been determined to always do white first and i did this on this back um the white was the whole center of the space uh and i was like gosh i feel like i'm just going to drag my hand across that and get dirty the whole time and melissa laughs about that because clearly i'm like the pig pen in the charlie brown class because obviously my hands are dirty because she says well that's weird why would you get your white dirty so I always use press and seal, saran wrap press and seal. Yeah. So I do the white first, and then I cut out a little piece of saran wrap press and seal. That stuff is magic. It doesn't pull too much. It just very nicely like like yeah. adheres to your to your piece, and then it just pulls right off. And so I just put that on top of all the white to kind of keep it protected from all the rest of the stitching, um, because this took me a while. Um, and so you know it was going to sit, and it could have gotten dusty. I don't know, whatever. Um, and so I always, always do my white first. I just do. Um, but then there are those people who say don't. So I don't know. What is your opinion on that whole white versus? Um, I am all about doing the white first as well, because I feel like, so the, the two camps I think are you do white first to avoid what we're talking about. Then there's the other camp that says you do white your last because it's going to get dirty. I feel like I have more control over how clean my hands are and how clean the environment is that I stitch than I do over the other side of it. Um, there was a really interesting thread on one of the needlepoint groups I'm in, and I can't tell you which one, maybe about 10 days ago, and I had the most major aha moment. And because as shop owners, we've seen this a lot, like someone turns something in and it's red and white and it kind of looks pink all around the edge or it's black and white, it looks a little bit gray all around that edge. Um, and I'm like, why has this never happened to me? Like, I'm not that perfect. Like, I don't always, like, even if you're stitching your white first, your black's going to rub along that. Like, why is it not an issue? And one of it is making sure you use the right size needle. 
So most shops, when they sell you a canvas, they put a needle in that canvas and they're going to give you the appropriate size. So if you have a 13 mesh canvas, you're going to want to use a size 20 needle. And that is the size 20 needle is a little bit bigger than the 22 and it opens up that hole just enough to make sure that that thread goes through without theoretically rubbing on the edges of the canvas, which means it's also not going to rub on the edge of that thread. Right. So that's one thing. The other thing is, for the most part, I work on a frame. Right. And so if you think about this, and this is this was my aha moment, because I'm like, why has this never happened to me? Because the gal that was stitching was not stitching on a frame. And I'm not a, a frame police, whatever. Like she actually ironically was stitching the needlepoint safe space, which I have stitched myself. <laughs> and um, I was like, why has this never happened to me? And it suddenly dawned on me, if you're doing the sewing method, because your canvas is bent, your threads are inherently rubbing against each other more, right? Oh, yep. And if you're working on a frame and you're going up and down and up and down, which is a lot more time and effort, which a lot of people don't want to do that, and I get it, um, but your threads aren't going to rub against each other as much inherently because of the motion. And that was my aha moment. I'm like, it's true. okay, I've thought of all these reasons that depending on the individual might be a good reason to use a frame. Right. And that was, had never been one of them. It, it was not something that was like front center. Yeah. Interesting. Oh. Very interesting. Yeah. I hadn't thought right. about that either. And truthfully, um, this pig piece, I knew I was taking to the beach. I wasn't that worried about it. And I just thought, I just want to try to keep that, you know, and I was doing the scooping, sewing, whatever you call it. And um, so I guess I'm glad I used my saran wrap. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. So, um, there's no hard and fast rule about white first or last. It's stitcher's discretion. But if anyone asks you and I, we say, well, this is what works best for us. And you guys do what works best for you. Because okay. there's no needlepoint police, as we just said. That's right. Um, okay. Um, so when you have wearable things, and I was going to show off my brand new purse, and I left it over there. Go get it. And I'll carry this for a second. Okay, you can pause us if you want or carry on. Whichever. Okay. Okay. So modern technology allowed us to pause. So with wearables, I have an example of a belt and a cuff bracelet and a purse. Most people say you should do basket weave only on these items. And I can't disagree with that. For many, many people, that's the right answer. I don't really love doing basket weave. Sorry. Um, I, I think I just have too many projects and it's faster for me to do decorative stitches. So, and sometimes I need kind of the, the mental interest of doing that. Um, so I just finished this first. Oops, hold on. It's stuck in my belt. It's finished. Oh, pretty. So look at our, my, our finisher to the leather castle and it has an optional um, shoulder strap, whatever. The finishing is gorgeous. I'm, oh, I I'm love so it. Excited. But if you look at this carefully, I did a lot of alternating mosaics all on uh -huh. the Greek key. I did scotch. Are they scotch stitches or mosaics? Hmm, I think they're scotch stitches over here on the border, this navy border. I did Van Dyke on the pink and the yellow. But all of these stitches at the most kind of have an over two right. like 
risk factor. <laughs> so um, I was very pleased with this. So, and I, I feel like this is going to wear just fine. There's nothing sticky outy. I mean, I think it's going to be great. So when it comes to a wearable, um, you could still do some something that's more than over one. Um, belts, I think for the most part, since you're the belt queen, I'll let you talk about belts. Belts, um, I we just got a belt in today that had uh, the diagonal mosaic stitch. I Again, I don't love that. Um, my husband wears, and so does my son, they wear their belts all the time. And um, the most tight, best stitch you can get for a, a durability on a belt is a tent stitch. Um, especially at what I call the pressure point, which is the point right here in the center back um, where you're you're leaning. And so that back loop is getting a lot of, so the, the tightest, tightest thing you can get is is the um, the tent stitch. Um, diagonal mosaic looks nice. It's full coverage. It's, it's similar to your mosaic, just your regular mosaic stitches. I even think that uh, alternating mosaic is even better because you're getting a little bit of a you know, the other problem with the diagonal mosaic is um, the large majority of people do not stitch a belt on a frame, myself right. included, and diagonal mosaic will throw your um, your rec long skinny rectangular belt out of skew, and it's a little hard to block that when it's that long skinny piece. It so. is hard to block. We 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 do block the belts. They do sit for just a bit to get when they get to the finisher, and he doesn't get to them the minute we get him in the door. Oh. <laughs> my my little paw here is still sore. Um, uh, but anyway, so I just um, I do think that that for the most part, a belt should be done in in tent stitch. Just what it is. I also think that you should use as thick of a thread as you can muster um, to two strands of impressions, the planet earth wool, um, a couple, three probably strands of, of the soy luster or um, the bermelana. I like three strands of bermelana. I like three strands of Bella Luso. Actually, I think I like four strands of bermelana and three strands of Bella Luso. I had to think about that for a minute. But anyway, as much as you can pack in there to keep it very tight. Um, I'm a big vineyard merino fan. That's merino, um, uh, yes, I'm sorry, we don't carry that. But yes, same. That'll, that's gonna be the same. Um, density thickness as the uh, planet earth wool um and so i just think that from a durability standpoint because of the pull and the push now melissa's purse is not going to get that pull and push it's going to get that wear and tear like i'm going to i'm going to rub up against it and in that case i really think it has to do more with the um the strength and the durability of the fibers that you use opposed to the type of stitch and the and the density of the of the stitch um so i don't know i just i i'm a firm believer in the tent stitch with a really durable uh thread on a belt if it's going to be worn a lot a lot like for a, a man that's going to wear it a lot but melissa okay. here over here yeah it's like uh, i'm a big rule breaker i don't uh, think so it's that i think it's that you use yours more like you know they always say uh your fingernails are jewels not tools you know you shouldn't be picking you shouldn't be whatever your your belts are not for durable keeping your pants up they're not it's not a tool it's a design it's a it is. And I, I wear them you know a couple of times a month right um, and most of mine even that said most of mine are intense stitch this is my big exception so this belt um you may have seen this on here before it's my turtle belt buckle he's upside down um but i don't know how well you're gonna be able to see this but it's basically like a sampler awesome so oh, there yeah. are 
thatch stitches and mosaic stitches. And uh, I think these are French knots. Let's see. Yep, French knots. And woven stitch. And uh, look at these long black stitches. That's really dangerous. But uh, you know what? They're back stitches. So they're actually not that. Leather tack down well. Yeah. There are Smyrna crosses. Uh, upright cross. So this is a Colors of Praise belt. They have all these fabulous patterns. There's the, uh, yep, that's the woven stitch, Megan. There's your over two right there. Yep. Um, so yeah, so I did this in all sorts of little stitches, but keyword there is little. Nothing on this belt goes over. I think this is the riskiest section, the screen section. I think those are over three. Yep. Um, but everything else is over two. And so you can, I mean, this is not our number one recommendation, but this was really fun to stitch. This oh, was really now, what did you use vineyard silk on that? Um, I think a lot of this is impressions, as I recall. Okay. Um, yeah, I feel like this is mainly impressions. Cool. Which actually we don't even carry anymore, um, which is sad because I do love it. We just, you know. It's impressions is one of my favorite threads and it's one of my favorite belt threads because it's got the silk for the sheen but it's got the wool for the the work um it's really going to keep it together and uh silk's very durable too i just find that silk picks up dirt more it just takes on the oils of your hands and things more um and so that's why i like the wool. well and that's where i usually tell people like i mean i hate to draw stereotypes but if you're going to stitch a belt for a man it's going to be more of a workhorse belt than 100% wool. Even if it's a woman who's wearing it on the golf course, or I mean, it's going to pick up, you know, it's just, it's, they're just going to. Many women are wearing it more as like a fashion choice. Right. And mm -hmm. so if it's going to get worn a couple times a month and you and love stitching silk, go for it. No yep. problem. Agreed. Agreed. Yep. Um, um, same with cuff bracelets. I think the cuffs are, um, yeah, I mean, but this was another big rule breaker. I've got Silk Road fibers in there. I have beads. But again, I wear this, you know, I'm not wearing this to garden in. Right. <laughs> I don't even wear this to work in, like even at, you know, this job. So that's like a going out to dinner bracelet when I get to be served and things like that. Right, right. No, totally, for sure. Um, yeah, and again, these things you all just have to, Back to the original point. Think about planning out your project. What are you, what are you making, and what is the end goal? And what? you know, and we've talked about planning a project before. You don't always have to have a plan in mind, but it's not a bad idea to at least think about it. <laughs> right. So you had asked me to pick out some of my favorite books for background. Yes, because you know this is not my forte. This is Melissa's. But what I told her is, I know that there's a lot of books that are either specific to background or are. Um, have sections in them or open stitch backgrounds. And so Melissa's going to take over this little section. Of yeah. So these are just a couple of my favorites. So the stitch landscape book, I love. It's actually supposed to be like about all your outside stuff, clouds, grass, mountains, sand, shrubbery, sky, stone, trees, water. So things that really don't necessarily make you think of backgrounds. But if you think of a lot of the things we stitch, sky, snow, um, Mountains, water. like a lot of those things, water, a lot of those things are your backgrounds. So there's a lot of stitches in here. Um, and of course, I have to turn to the flower page, which isn't going to help us. Um, but like this grass page, like a lot of these could be background stitches. Yep. So this, if you're doing landscapey things, your background is kind of 
your your summer version or your winter version of sky, grass, snow, ground, those kind of things. So this is one of my go-to books. Um, this whole series, the Stitches for Effect, More Stitches for Effect, and Even More Stitches for Effect, um, is kind of a no-brainer for this section because you can go to this effect index and I'm trying to get to the bees. Sorry, I should have put a bookmark in here or something. So in the backgrounds, they have all of these listed here, all those different backgrounds I listed there. So there's lots and lots of great choices in here. Um, and there's my, my favorite crisscross Hungarian. So, and it'll tell you in here, like what this kind of stitch is good for. And it probably says something about, you know, clothing and trees and whatever. So this whole series is an excellent, excellent resource. And I think um, you interviewed Suzanne Howren uh, earlier this year, late last year. I can't remember which. Um, so I love that series. So, mm -hmm. Here is my favorite. This is my Bible. Um, Carolyn, if you want open stitches, I think the Susan Howren books are what you should remember, and I'm putting you on the spot because I don't remember when she published those. Do you remember ish? Oh, it was in the early 80s, I think. I would say it was decades ago. Yeah. Carolyn's books are newer, therefore, um, and the only difference being kind of what we started on at the very beginning, talking about like things have moved more towards open stitches for all the reasons we mentioned. So Carolyn has lots and lots of open stitch options. Like this particular stitch can be open or closed or even more closed. And she has lots of great graphs in here. Um, and I mean, like here is a su super open yep. stitch, similar to a little bit to what you did on your tiger. I was thinking that, yep. Yeah, but then she gives you options for like things you can put in the middle of it if you want it less open. So I think that this is a great go-to for trying out some open stitches. And there's lots more in the in this home besides just that. But if you're looking for a good resource to start, um, to me, that's one of my favorites. So um, and I have lots more books I could talk about. I could do, We could do a whole podcast on books and why each one I love, but it might go on for four hours. So I don't know. That's a little okay, dangerous. Maybe we should table that for the next time. But those are my three highlights, I think, for today. So I like it. I like it. Well, you know, I think suffice it to say that there's a lot of ways that you can go about doing your backgrounds. There's a lot of uh, what we would call sort of rights and what we would call sort of wrongs. But as we continue to pound into the heads of our viewers, this is an art. This is not a science. This is for you to choose what you want to do. And all we're here to do is to try to help it help you do um, your best and you're doing a great job of wrapping this up, but we forgot one really important thing that I- Oh think. my gosh, what's that? It's, it's, we don't have to talk about it for long, but I think it's very important that we mention it. The scale of your background versus the scale of your foreground. Okay. So what, when you said that there's, there's a few mistakes you can make, what I have seen happen for is if your background is too big of a scale, things that are a larger scale and more thread come forward. Yep. Less thread and smaller scale recede. So back to Mr. Pig. Yeah, so your your tiger has heavier threads compared to your background. So your tiger's coming forward. Yes. Now I have kind of a busy background here that's on a larger scale, but my pig 
and it's hard to see the black, but if you look at the white, yeah. that's a large balloon stitch. So that's yeah. on a larger scale than the background. So you right. just want to kind of keep that in mind. Don't let your background overtake the foreground. Yes. And I don't feel like we made that point earlier. So no, sorry. I don't either. And you know, the other thing um, that somebody asked about was starting and stopping threads. I think that's a whole beast in itself too. The L stitch, the T stitch, the away knot, the and I think we talked a good amount about that. Yeah. Go ahead. In which in our tips and tricks episode. Tips and tricks. So I think I think if people want more information on that, they should go back to that. Um, I think we may have titled it your best needle point yet, something like that. Yes. So, because I remember that was just a question in one of our somewheres, how to start and stop in the background. So Good. there's a lot, there's a lot, but um, that, like what I was saying, I, we, again, we try not to beat a dead horse on what's right and what's wrong because neither one of us feel like there really is right and wrong. It's just that we've tried things that have failed and we've learned things from teachers that we think are brilliant. And so that's just what we're imparting. So, yeah. And, and we're not the experts. We just have <laughs> a little bit of life experience in needlepoint. <laughs> Truth. You more than me, but that's okay because you started stitching when you were like single digits. So, <laughs> all right, okay, guys. Friend. I think this was this was good. It was fun. Please continue. We love. We try to read as much as we can of the comments um, section here on YouTube. We also um, try to keep up with our email and our direct messages on Instagram. Um, but you know, it's a lot. So if you don't hear from us, give us a little bit of time or give us a nudge. But what you can do for us is to continue to support us by subscribing. So if you have not subscribed, please do so. Tell a friend to subscribe. And uh, maybe someday we'll get like really cool and get an assistant or somebody to try to like help us manage all this because it's getting kind of crazy. But <laughs> we need a lot more subscribers to, to get to that point. So we'll work on that. Anyway, thanks everybody. Thanks for continuing to watch and um, happy stitching. Bye-bye. Good to see you. Bye. Putting It Out podcast is a part of the ACAST Creator Network. For more information, please visit us on Instagram at Pointing It Out Podcast or subscribe to our YouTube channel at Pointing It Out Podcast. Shop online at Needlepoint Clubhouse by visiting stlneedlepoint.com and follow us on Instagram at stlneedlepoint. And visit the Wool and the Floss online shop at woolfloss.com and follow at Wool and the Floss on Instagram as well.